Welcome everyone, this is the Nerds RPG Variety Cast. I'm your host Jason. See those little black boxes? They're called telephones. I'm going to let you on a little secret about these telephones. They're not going to dial themselves, okay? Without you, they're just worthless hunks of plastic. Like a loaded M16 without a trained marine to pull the trigger. Hi, Arfred here. Um... Just started listening to your podcast. Uh, thanks for giving me the RSS feed. I think that could be useful for other people that are trying to listen on iPhones that can't get it working on um, a podcatcher. Um, Anchor's always been a pain for me to listen to a podcast. So that was great. Uh, been starting to listen, as I said. Uh, just been listening to the pirate episode. Uh, it was good to hear that you mentioned uh, a favourite board game on there. Um, that's one I've heard of but not actually played. Big board ga- game fan, as you know. We've been discussing a bit of board gaming on the uh, Discord server. But um, one that I would recommend for a pirate theme was uh, Pirate's Cove. Um, Days of Wonder game. I think that's uh, a good family sort of version of a game. Um, the only thing we change is a random for the black pirate. But yeah, good start. Thanks. Arfed here, uh, just been listening to your next episodes um, and I was just giving you a quick call on the sort of careers thing that you were talking about in some of the games. Um, I'm designing a sort of BX sort of version of a game and mixing it up a bit uh, and I'm sure I'll talk about it more on my brother's um, podcast at some stage. But in there, what I'm giving the players is a couple of options to as we're playing, to add to the role-playing, give some examples of a previous career or occupation that they can pull in as um, a sort of speciality. So maybe a stonemason before they became an adventurer so they can help to work out something about some stonework in a dungeon or uh, a carpenter or or they've played an instrument or, or some sort of linguist, something like that. So instead of uh, making it a sort of static rule or something during the character creation, giving it a bit more freedom to evolve or come out during role playing um, and let the player choose when they want to sort of engage it or use it. Um, And then it can obviously be used in in future adventures or scenarios. Um, Anyway, that was just my thoughts on it. enjoying the podcast so far like the little clips brings back some memories of some of the shows and films over the years that i've enjoyed uh enjoyed listening to the he-man i've got all the he-man cartoons on dvd got quite a collection of 80s cartoons um dungeons and dragons and the like but anyway enjoying the uh, podcast so keep up the good work and speak soon hey thank you so much for the feedback i really appreciate it yeah pirate's cove i have not played that i don't own it but i will look for it and i'll grab a copy up always looking for good family games it's always a plus 
Uh, I can get my wife to play some things, not others. Uh, my son really prefers cooperative games over any kind of head-to-head or competitive type things. But yeah, I'll look for that. I appreciate that. And I, you're going through the back catalog, so at some point in there, I do an unboxing where I talk about Skull Tales Full Sail, which is a second release of a French game that's kind of a dungeon crawl pirate themed game where there's also like ship to ship combat and stuff. We actually haven't started playing that yet. We need to. My house is a little bit cluttered right now, so I don't have a set table. I can leave a game set up, you know, for a long period of time, but I think we've got that sorted out. I was talking to the wife. So hopefully once I get that taken care of, I'll be able to leave a game set up for extended period and we'll be able to dive into skull tales and play through that. So, Again, oh, so also the careers. Great advice. I I really like that. Uh, for it depends what we're doing, right? So, on a game in a game like Barbarians of Lemuria, of course you're going to want to start with careers already there. But for what you're talking about, I think that's a great addition and a great idea. It's kind of like the same idea as languages, right? Instead of picking, so your character knows five languages. Instead of picking all five of those languages initially. They come out there and play where you get to decide, hey, I do know that language, or maybe you have a percentage chance of knowing that language when you encounter something. And the same thing with a career, except it wouldn't be a percentage chance. It'd just be when the time comes up, say, hey, DM, that was that's one of my careers. So that's really cool. I like that idea. Um, and, and it adds a little bit to, to your character in D&D and lets them, like you say, emerge during the game. Because I, as far as a lot of games... Like D and D and the variants of that and the dungeon crawl kind of games, I'm I'm a big proponent of the character developing as the game goes forward. You know, there's some games where you you already start off powerful and then you need a backstory, but in these other games where you start level one, you don't need a backstory and you can develop as you go. And like you say, you know, at some point it could come out where your your dad was a was a stonemason and you worked with him for a while or something and that's why you recognize this or whatever it is right so that's awesome i appreciate the feedback and i look forward to hearing from you again thank you so much Alfred here. I just listened to your podcast number two and um, brought back memories of Little West Hobo, one of my favourites when I was growing up, when I was little. Um, but you was also talking about board games, which obviously gets my attention as well. I'm currently designing my own game, which I think I've said before, and I've used inspiration from um, a dungeon delving sort of board game, Gloomhaven. Uh, with regards to sort of levelling up or experience, I'm giving characters sort of tick boxes on their character sheet to give them um, upgrades, basically. Um, and because I'm replacing the dice with a card system, so instead of a D20, you've got 20 cards. You can upgrade your cards, um, replace cards in some situations. Um, something that I'm looking at to make it more tactical. So when I say more tactical, obviously your deck of 20 cards, 
the, the tactic comes when you shuffle that deck. So instead of just rolling a, a, a D20 and every time you've got the same percentage chance of, of scoring whatever you need to score, uh, with the 20 cards, if you've used one for initiative, um, you've attacked in a previous round, some of those cards are being removed and put into a discard pile. Um, and your deck can be shuffled when you're in control. If you're hit um, by a monster or a creature or you take damage of some effect, then you reshuffle your deck and you lose control uh, and you reset. So it's just something different that I'm going to try with my game. Hopefully going to get it to the table in a, a month or so. And um, I'm sure I'll hopefully say some more about it on my brother's podcast. Uh, when I listened to that last message, I didn't quite explain myself properly. So with regards to the 20 cards, uh, each card has um, got a hit or a, a miss, whether it be the player or if you're being attacked by a, a monster or NPC, whatever. So the low numbers in your deck represent um, bad for you, as in you're missing, but represent good for the enemy so they'll be hitting so you've got two stats on each each card um, one in the, the bottom left corner for the bad guys one in the top right for the for the good guys as it were and then the overall number in the middle which is used for doing any sort of checks of um, your attributes things like that so I know that's a very simple explanation but hopefully that makes a little bit more sense to my previous messages hey Arthur. yep that makes total sense so I've got Gloomhaven. I actually haven't got it to the table. Unfortunately, I just never got around to playing it. I've got an issue with space at home. I think I mentioned that previously. So once we have a table set up where we can leave games set up, maybe I'll get that out and play it. But the mechanic you're describing sounds, it's a little bit different. I'm not familiar with anything exactly like you're describing. But a lot of board games, card games, deck building games have a similar mechanic you know, where you use your hand of cards for your health and you might have to shuffle and then as you level up through the deck building mechanic, you're going to, you know, replace weaker cards, stronger cards, things like that. So, I mean, it's a time-tested technique. It's worked in numerous board games and card games. I don't know why it couldn't work in an RPG. I don't know an RPG could currently use a system like that. And like I say, your cards with the multiple values on them are a little bit different. I think it's a neat idea i would definitely i'm definitely looking forward to seeing how it turns out in play tests and um i look forward to hearing more take it easy hi jason i uh, just want to talk a little bit about what i believe is known as a death spiral by that i'm in i'm a, my understanding is that as something is damaged a character or adversary their abilities are reduced so you take damage, you become less effective in a fight or less effective at carrying out other tasks. It strikes me that this mechanism is um, fairly widely criticised and I've heard you mention it a couple of times. It sounds like you're not a fan. I just wondered if you could expand on it a little bit more because there's a little bit of this in Tunnel Goons and I haven't found it to be very problematic. It's almost... Uh, quite a refreshing change so interesting I'm interested to hear what you think thank you for the call Colin that was Colin Green the Spike Pit Podcast 
In fact, when Arfin mentions his brother's podcast, he's talking about Colin's podcast. Highly recommended. Everybody should go listen to it. So, if anybody's not familiar, the idea of a death spiral is when your character starts doing badly at something, they their ability drops, and then they do worse and worse and worse until the point where they can't win. So, Rhesus, which is the one I frequently bring up, you use certain cliches to deal with certain problems. So if you're in a certain kind of conflict, you might say, I'm going to use this cliche to deal with it. If you lose a round of that conflict, a round of combat, then you lose a point off your cliche. So it gets to the point where, say, you had four di- you're rolling four dice and you lose, then you roll three dice, then you roll two dice, then you roll one die if you lose consecutive rounds where your opponent's not losing dice. And then you know, it gets to the point where you know, if you're rolling four dice against your opponent's four dice, then you have a fairly decent chance. If you have three dice, maybe you have a chance. You know, two dice, it's pretty bad, and one die, you're not going to win, right? So, that's what's called the death spiral, to where the more you lose, the less chance you have of winning at all. And my problem with death spirals, it just doesn't seem very fun to the players. I'm not saying it's unrealistic. So, another game that does this or did this, in the early noughts when I got back into board gaming, Worthington Games put out a game called Cowboy. And in Cowboys, you took wounds, you lost movement points. So you got down to the point where your character moves one space a turn, and he is pretty useless. So now they've updated that game. I don't know if the new, new versions of it have that same mechanic, but that was a problem with that game back then. So... Again, I don't know the death spiral is unrealistic, but I do think it's it can be unfun. I do include a version of it in my game that I'm developing on Mondays. And in, in that game, you have separate hit point pools for your body, your mind, and your spirit. And if any of those go under half, then everything you do from then on is a disadvantage. Meaning you roll an extra die, and then you disregard the best die, the best, you know, die that you'd rolled. And the reason for this is, if you're physically hurt, you're not going to be as effective. If you're mentally drained, mentally tired, you're not going to be as effective. And if your spirit's broken, you're not going to be as effective. So regardless of which of those is under half of its hit points, you're at disadvantage. So I do kind of incorporate it, but I don't take it to the point of racist where you have no chance of winning in combat once you're wounded. And again, the reason is more... I want the game to be fun for the players as opposed to... I'm not trying to simulate anything. I'm not trying to do a realistic simulation of anything. So, But definitely, in some games, it works. But that's kind of my thoughts on Death Spiral. I hope that answers your questions, Colin. If not, call back, let me know, and we'll expand on it. Gary and Dave shed credit on the white bus. Things advanced, their relationship was on the rocks. Maybe less people know his name, but he revolutionized war games with the first fantasy game. Okay, week three of Arneson's Appreciate Anch- <laughs> Anchorites Appreciate Arneson Month. 
sorry, late night. So the week three assignment from Rayotis is The Play is the Thing. In honor of Arneson's spirit of play over publishing, talk about a game you played recently, not one you want to play or one you've read or watched or otherwise experienced vicariously. So I'm going to talk actually about one game in particular, and then I'm going to mention another game. I've talked about both these on my show before, but the one story I haven't shared yet. So last night, actually, and I'm recording this early. I'm recording this in the beginning of October because I want to get all these Arneson episodes out or recorded. So when I listen to other people's episodes, it doesn't influence what I say. So this is going to be sitting in the can for a couple weeks. But I played in a game that was run by Arlen Walker from Live from Pelham's Wasteland. I recommend his podcast to you. And we played a game called Best Left Buried, which is kind of like Maze Rats. Um, It's a super rules-like game. Characters are generated in minutes. Um, Characters die in minutes, too. (laughs) In fact, I had a character die during character generation. But... The it, It's a really neat little game. Um, D6 base, challenges are 2D6, combat's 3D6. It's got a mechanic where, you're, where your 3D6 roll tells you if you hit and how much damage you did all rolled into one. But what I want to talk about that goes to the topic is the other player. So Arlen ran the game for us, but there were two of, two of us, two players there. And I don't have the other player's name, and I don't have his permission to share his name anyway. But he did a great job, and and he really, if if he hears this or if Arlen hears this, the, the kudos this the other player. He he did wonderfully. Um, so he ended up dying in the first. So we both create characters, and he created a protagonist. And he rolled it randomly, and a protagonist is like the classic goody two shoes character, right? Who's way too good, um, kind of naive, and so when we hit that first room that was filled with ghouls, he kind of charged into the room, and he went down quick. And got and when my character saw he was obviously dead, I bolted out of there, and uh, I, I was playing a grizzled war vet, and he left and got help and came back, and you know after they came back, they ended up finishing the mission and. Um, bringing the other character's body back for burial. But this other player, he played that character perfectly. He with the optimism and the and the cheer and and everything you expect from that archetype, he played it. And then he rerolled again randomly a second character that came back with me. And this character was a dastard, which is basically like a roguish character. And he changed. This this other player was awesome. He changed personality on us and he not like out of game, but you know, in game, and he and he played that character, you know, and he's like, and, and he and he was more hard news, and 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 meaner the way he talked, and and interact with my character, and you, you know, a, a lot more careful, and, and and he really did a great job. He really played the roles. He it wasn't just lip service to it. He got into those two roles and did a great job at it. So kudos to that guy, and that's the game. I played it last night, so I played it recently. I, I know I'm recording this early, but that that player really exemplified where he was given two almost diametrically opposite characters and played them both to the hilt during the game. So it, it, it's a little inspiring to me because I tend to play kind of bland characters because I'm not super imaginative. 
But um, this dude did good. He really did. So I was going to talk again about the ICRPG Blacklight, the Delta Green game. And the players in that game did super good too. That was uh, last month. But I think I'm just going to leave it with the Best Left Buried game and, and give all the kudos this this nameless player that um, exemplifies all those nameless players out there. All those players that, that do such a good job and, and are unsung. So this is uh, I'll raise my beer to you, the unsung player. Hail, sir. Okay, Scary Movie Month update. When we last left off, I believe I just finished The Monster Club. Since then, I've watched The House in Marsh Road, which is a set in England. It's a haunted house movie. They're very specific to tell you it's a poltergeist. It's only about an hour long. Pretty good. I'd recommend it. Attack of the Crab Monsters, 1957. It's a Roger Corman, silly, crazy science and bad special effect movie. Uh, again, only an hour. Definitely a recommend. Then we were days that I worked, so I was watching shorts. Cattle, the Colt, 2018. On all these shorts are on Amazon. I don't recommend Cattle the Colt. It's basically as Colts killing ladies. It has this buxom young lady with an afro trying to escape. It's not very good. Um, next we have Cul-de-Sac 2016. Much more of a suspense movie than a horror movie. It was interesting. And I see what they were going for and it could... All these shorts feel like they're just pitches for longer movies. Which probably is what they are. I'm not sure I would call um, cul-de-sac horror movie, though. The next one falls in the horror category, The Visitors from 2018. It's a found footage movie. Ugh, I hate found footage. Some college kids go to a abandoned warehouse that's supposed to be inhabited by aliens. But to its credit, it shows more than Blair Witch did, and you only lose seven minutes of your life to this one, unlike Blair Witch. So there is that. Okay, and then today I watched... And today is Tuesday, the 15th October. I watched The Lair of the White Worm, 1988. It was a fun movie. Um, I enjoyed it. I've seen this before. It's been years since I saw it. I didn't remember the psychedelic kind of dream sequences. They kind of date the movie badly. But it's got Hugh Grant. It's got good acting, and it's fun. It doesn't take itself too seriously. So I'd recommend checking out The Lair of the White Worm. It does have some anti-Christian imagery because it's a pre-Christian cult so just be aware of that and it's got some nudity but if, if you want kind of a light-hearted you know horror movie you could do worse than The Lair of the White Worm as always the best way to reach me is just leave a voice message on the Anchor app where you can reach me on the Audio Dungeon. Okay, thanks for listening to the show. TJ Drennan of Occult Orifice Outrage did the musical transitions during the show. You can find him on Patreon. And you can hear me again on guess it'll be Saturday. So, 
Have a good few days.